We are pleased you made the choice to listen to this recording. We're going to open this book, God's Word. Please open to the first page to Genesis chapter 1. This first book in the Bible is filled with truth every person needs to listen to, believe in, review, and take into life. Genesis contains the stories of extraordinary people who can impress upon us indispensable lessons. Genesis will convey to us history that becomes the background for the rest of the Bible. Genesis will challenge us to be on guard against the common sins people commit, the old mistakes people have been making since the beginning. Genesis will remind us of the peril of making a commitment to God, then drifting away from Him. Genesis will firm up in your mind fundamental moral principles which transcend dispensational boundaries. All of this in the first book in the Bible. But even more, Genesis introduces you to God. Not just His real existence, not just the miracle of creation, not just His response to good and evil, who God is and what He means to our existence and hope that's communicated to us beginning here in Genesis. Genesis is spiritually strategic because, I'm going to put it this way, creation truth is essential for every one of us to learn and receive and apply, and it's all centered in God, in who God is, and who He ought to be to each of us. I want to take us to four places foundational to our faith, and I should like to give this the label, creation truth. Creation truth number one, only God can do this. Look with me now at the opening statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No man has ever come close to this. No group of men have ever been able to duplicate the work of divine creation. Men may claim it didn't happen this way. Men say there was no designer, that it was random, coincidental, evolutionary. Men can and do say all these things about the heavens and the earth and about human life, but we are certain of this. No man has ever come close to doing what is documented in Genesis chapter 1. It happened in one week, in the beginning of the existence of the heavens and the earth. Creation truth number one, only God can do this. The year I graduated from high school and went off to the army, 1966, Time magazine ran a cover story with this title, Is God Dead? I think there were many then, and maybe many today, who wanted to believe that, who want to believe that. See, when divine reality is rejected, out of the same window goes moral obligation, and that's what many are looking for, how to dismiss moral obligation. There have always been people who don't want there to be a God so intense they will affirm that God is dead and thus to comfort them against any power of conscience. 
Many will make their atheism sound scientific, logical, and objective with all the academic optics of good science, but it often becomes apparent at the root of unbelief there is this raw human independence, this zeal to run your own life as you see fit and deny the role of the Creator, hoping and arguing and clamoring to convince yourself there is no God. If no God, no standard, no obligation, no accountability. But however comforting that line of thought might be, it just isn't so. Genuine science and objective research has made it increasingly difficult to make the case against God's existence. The whole intelligent design declaration has given wide publicity to all kinds of powerful evidence that the earth, the natural world, the existence of human life, can be explained in no other way. Here, on the first page of the Bible, in fact, in the first verse, the miracle of creation that brought everything into existence, and references made to this later in the Bible, for example, in Psalms 33.9, He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. I ask you to consider this. The only tool God needed was the power of His Word. Believing this, the writer of Hebrews said, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Creation truth number one, only God can do this. God is unique, supreme, sovereign, and in all our choices, dealing with people and preparation for death, we are well advised to acknowledge and respond to the Creator. Honor Him. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Love Him and keep His commandments. This is where the Bible starts, page 1. Creation truth number 1. Only God can do this. Listen, please, to a portion of Psalms 104, one of several psalms praising God for His creative work. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering Yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of His chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds. He ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with the garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys, they flow between the hills. I want you to go back and read all of that in Psalms 104, and you'll come to verse 24. 
O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. The testimony of the writer is, look at what only God can do. How manifold are his works. Creation truth number two. Jesus was active in creation. I'm going to ask you to be turning to the Gospel of John, hoping that you have your Bible with you when you listen to these recordings. When this creation truth is affirmed, it is not uncommon for this to induce an initial reaction of skepticism from those ill-informed or uninformed. A typical response might be, Christ wasn't even born yet. What we need to know is Christ existed with God in heaven before his birth, his incarnation, deity. Not only did Christ exist when creation occurred, he was active in that work. The divine miracle of creation involved the divine Son of God. And we are told this with such clarity in the Gospel of John, the opening verses, John 1 verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So isn't it clear from this? When God spoke the world into existence, when the natural world was formed, and natural processes set in motion. When all that took place, Jesus was the agent who was active by the power of God and with the Holy Spirit. And thus, it says in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image. How important is this? To think of Jesus in terms of his pre-existence, his eternal existence as deity, his creative work. Well, let's listen to Paul in Colossians 1, 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If I am to be an obedient believer in Jesus Christ, my belief in him, my faith needs to acknowledge all that Paul says about him in these important verses, because just as I believe Jesus was active in creation, He is active in the new creation, new, righteous, living in Christ. When I trust and obey Him, from the void and waste of sin, He recreates me clean and restores my true place as a creature made in the image of God. It's creation truth number two. Jesus was active in creation. Creation truth number three, God made man in his image, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image, 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What does that mean? It cannot mean we look like God in visual or physical terms. God doesn't have a body like we have. Jesus spoke to this. He said, God is spirit, and a spirit hath not flesh and bones. That's John 4.24 with Luke 24.39. So we rule this out. Being made in the image of God doesn't mean we look like God in visual or physical terms. This image concept has to do with those aspects of our nature God installed in us at creation, which we share with God. Let me say that again. This image concept has to do with those aspects of our nature God installed in us at creation, which we share with God. Now, I'm quick to say we don't share everything about God. We are not God. But there are aspects of the divine nature that he put in us by his grace. These are sometimes called communicable attributes. We do not have God's creative power. We cannot perform or cause miracles. We cannot see anybody's motives. We do not know all and see all. We are not like God in those ways, but God in his grace communicated to us and installed in us certain attributes he did not give to vegetables and animals. The capacity of choice, our emotionality, the ability to think and reason and know what is right and wrong, the blessing we have of being able to respond to God and connect with him in life and death and eternity. So creation truth number three, we were made in his image. A very good writer, gospel preacher Doy Moyer, once made this well-worded comment. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is marvelous. Contextually, made in God's image starts with the idea of God giving dominion, rulership or kingship to humans over the rest of creation. While the rest of God's creation is astounding that God gives to human beings, this special nature is glorious. What is man that you are mindful of him? Psalm chapter 8. And may I add, both male and female, while different, are equal bearers of the divine image, leading me now to creation truth number four. He made male and female. Genesis 1.27, male and female. He created them. It is outrageous that in our time there is a popular stream of thought that gender difference ought to be brazenly denied. This idea sails across the media under the flag of equality, justice, rights. But listen carefully to these voices. Gender difference is being denied. And within this politically correct thread, when the subject of sexual identity comes up, it is like some are saying, no matter what 
God did, I'll decide what I want to be. Isn't that it? Or it is implied that God somehow built confusion into gender. So I'm calling this, in our study now, creation truth number four. God made male and female. And when Jesus spoke on the subject in Matthew 19, 4 and 5, talking about marriage, it says, He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God made male and female. And when Jesus speaks of marriage and defines it, he says, male and female. Creation truth number four, the truth about marriage from the one who set up marriage, which leads me to remind us Genesis isn't just history. It is a true account of history, but it has moral truth embedded. When I studied history in high school and college, it was mostly about learning facts along a timeline and repeating that on the test. It was more data than practical learning. Yes, I know we are supposed to learn from history lest it be repeated, but that was just something history teachers said to many of the students. A history class never ended with any application, though sometimes it ended with a political agenda. History in the Bible has a timeline, people and narratives, all of that, events, in sequence, but history in the Bible and in Genesis has moral principle and truth embedded for us today concerning, for example, marriage. From Genesis, we begin to see who God is, his actions, man's reactions, the verdict against man, and the grace of God making provision for man. I hope we understand in all our Bible study and listening to preaching, to know Genesis is to know some essential fundamentals, basic truths about God, the world, yourself, other people, law, sin, salvation, marriage, faith, and promise. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Moses wrote Genesis and told us where we came from, why we're here, and what God expects us to do. It is this simple. Obey Him. He is the Creator. Live by His precepts. Follow His Son. Read the New Testament and be a Christian. Please have your Bibles open one more time. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 25. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 25. What does all this mean to me, to you, from Genesis? What does God intend us to do with this truth? Just know it, learn it, and be able to recite it, memorize it, listen to a sermon about it? What does God intend us to do with these and the other truths written on the first page of his book? He intends us to respond to him, to love and obey him, to glorify him, to let our lives be a place he inhabits, he guides, he promises and perfects us. 
as we respond to the gospel, he promises and perfects us a good outcome. All we have found in Genesis 1 should lead us to praise him as written in Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. But did you know God existed and was active before creation? 1 Peter 1, 17-25 And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Before God brought man into existence, it says here, he foreordained that Christ would live and die and be raised to save us so that we can have our souls purified upon our obedience to the truth. Thank you for listening.